Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, many of us are quite familiar with various passages from the New Covenant. And I could even ask you, what, what passage are you most familiar with the New Covenant? Some would say, well, I'm most familiar with John chapter 3. I'm most familiar with John chapter 15. I'm most familiar with uh, John chapter 20 or Luke or whichever passage you picked or one of the epistles, writings. And we're familiar with some of the spiritual truths that, that are pointed out to us in the New Covenant. In the, uh, it's called in Hebrew, the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, that speak about Yeshua, and speak about our calling, refer to the many spiritual blessings that we have in the Messiah that he's given to us. And I want to read this passage to you. And it's in line with all I just said, Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3, some of you are familiar with the Greek language. Know that this is a very long sentence. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, I believe, has over 200 words in it, and there's a lot of theological debate as to whether it's a run-on sentence or not, and there are good arguments on each place, and it, it goes all the way through, I believe, verse 14 and beyond. It's one, almost like one statement. But let me read this part to you. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Messiah. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Messiah Yeshua to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, looking at that passage, I, I sense that for many of us, that's a familiar passage. We've read Ephesians chapter 1 many times. How many have read Ephesians 1 before? Well, most of us have. But to segue to something different, I have a hunch here this morning that there are many among us who are hearing these remarks that may not be quite so familiar with the book of Numbers, chapters 4 through 7. And I can see just looking at you blank stares. <laughs> Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, 1 Thessalonians, Colossians, yes. But pray tell, what does Numbers chapter 4 through 7 speak about? And in fact, there are many who would say they don't see a whole lot of connection between what's written in the book of Numbers and Ephesians. They almost seem like two different worlds. 
And yet, let me remind you that these are God-breathed statements, and it's one God speaking through His one word. It's one voice, as it's said in seminary. It's one voice speaking. And yes, there is a connection between what's written in the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, in chapters 4 through 7, which if you read this week's parashah, this week's Torah portion, you know that that's basically the, the gist of the Torah portion, starting a little bit after the beginning of Numbers chapter 4 and going away all the way to the end of Numbers chapter 7. These nearly four chapters, Numbers 4 through 7, contain... 89 verses, Numbers chapter 7 does alone, 89 verses, and by comparison, the longest chapter in the Brit Hadashah in the New Covenant is Luke chapter 1, which has 80 verses, so there's a lot in Numbers, and particularly this parasha, which is called in Hebrew, parashat naso. Now, if you read Numbers chapter 4 through 7, if you read this section, this week's portion, you realize right away that it's not the most action-packed narrative. <laughs> it's not the most scintillating section of the Bible. I mean, let's face it, there was no parting of the Red Sea talked about. There was no thunder or earthquake at Mount Sinai alluded to. There wasn't the swallowing up of Korah or Korah. And by the way, stay tuned because we'll read about that in Numbers in three weeks, Lord willing, about what happened with Korah. And Numbers 4 through 7 doesn't contain a story about the Dag Gadol, the great fish of Jonah fame. And there's no mention of the beast, the false prophet, or anything that we read about in the book of Revelation. And yet, I suggest to you with the strongest suggestion that Numbers 4 through 7 is the Word of God, and it is valuable to us to delve into it, to understand. And when you look at these chapters, Parashat Naso, when you look at this, this section of the book of Numbers, you don't see, like I said, thunder and earthquakes and, and the swallowing of a prophet. You don't see anything like that. Here's what you encounter how to deal with spousal jealousy, <laughs> issues about leprosy, Nazarite vows, the offerings that were made by each segment of the children of Israel, each tribe, at the dedication of the altar and the tabernacle. You read all about that in, in quite a lot of detail. And then other issues concerning Levitical purity, the Levitical priesthood, and the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. All these things are covered in Numbers chapter 4 through 7. And admittedly, and I'll say it again, admittedly there's nothing there about the earthquaking. There's nothing there about the sea parting. There's nothing there about thunder and lightning and clouds on Mount Sinai or the beast or the false prophet, etc. But there's something there for you and me if we'll take time to look at it. For example, despite the somewhat bland topics I just mentioned, like about spousal jealousy, leprosy, and Nazarite vows, there's an important section of Scripture found in Numbers. It's found in Numbers chapter 6. It's called by the Hebrew name, Birkata Kohanim. 
the Aaronic benediction, the priestly blessing, and that's found in Numbers chapter 6. And this birkata koanim, this priestly blessing, the Aaronic benediction, referring to Aaron, Aharon, the brother of Moses, this Aaronic benediction was instituted by God himself, and we read about it from Numbers, Numbers chapter 6, beginning with verse 24. So let's look at that, Numbers chapter 6, and let's start with verse 22. And if you skipped over Numbers this week, you missed one of the most important sections Jewishly in the book of Numbers, and that's this. Numbers 6, verse 22, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Now, let me ask you, how many of you are familiar with that passage from the book of Numbers? Most of us. It's extremely important passage in Jewish liturgy. It occurs basically in every Jewish service at one point or the other in the synagogue. And if you recall, Aaron, Aharon, Aaron, who is brother to Moses and to Miriam, was appointed by God to be the first Levitical Kohen Gadol, or high priest, to pronounce that blessing. He was the first one. Now, this Birkata Konim, as it's called in Hebrew, the Aaronic benediction, was to be said initially by Aaron, but you notice I emphasize, I was reading it, to speak to Aaron and to his sons. Speak to Aaron and to his sons. And the passing on, the passing on of this responsibility, and we could call it a blessing, the passing on of this responsibility, and in fact, the other priestly responsibilities that went from Aaron to his sons, that passing on, and he lost two of his sons. Why? Because they offered strange fire before the Lord. That passing on, that process of passing on these responsibilities and, and, and would you, the, the blessings, we call a priestly succession, priestly Succession, or more accurately in this case, Levitical succession. So it goes from Aaron the high priest, then his sons the high priest, his sons' sons the high priest, etc. And you can follow this through Scripture. And it was the Kohen Gadel, the high priest, that was to pronounce that blessing. It actually says to say that blessing over the children of Israel, that ironic benediction, the priestly blessing, the birkata konim, however you want to refer to it. And God said, told Aaron that when you say this over them, I'm going to put my name upon them. The idea is there, I'm going to seal them for me. Seal them for me. Now, that chain, that link between Aaron and his sons has been likened actually to a chain. They're one connected to the next, just like a chain, like you would see a chain. I know when I was growing up that they made quite a discovery in the Hudson River, and I actually saw this with my eyes, that during the revolution 
period, the Hudson River was a major battleground. British ships going up, and, you know, that was the place of Benedict Arnold. How many have heard of Benedict Arnold? <laughs> a little traitor, I guess. But that was the place of, of there. And they made this discovery in some of the muds as they were dredging out the Hudson River, and they found a chain. Now, it was not like a chain you or myself had ever seen before. The links were huge, as big as me, and that's no exaggeration. I'm not the biggest, I'm not the tallest glass of water here today. But it was as, as large as me, the links, made of cast iron. And they attempted and actually succeeded to some degree to put a chain across the Hudson River and tried to stop the British ships from getting through. They had some success, but didn't last very long. Well, there's this chain, this link. There was this link from Aaron to his son. That, and part of what the responsibility was to pronounce blessing over the children of Israel. And let me ask you, just as an aside, do you use your speech to pronounce blessing over those around you? It says in Proverbs many passages about speech and our tongue and communication. But one thing for sure, it says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And Aaron was being trained. He was told, speak blessing. I want to bless them. I want to set my name on them. And I suggest that as we look at people, no matter how gruff or crass or difficult they may be for us, to keep in mind the, this idea of priestly blessing that you, you want them to come to know the Lord, as Christopher alluded to during the worship. You want them to hear the good news if they don't know the Messiah already. And you want to make sure that they come to that place of right standing with the Lord. That comes only through faith in Yeshua the Messiah. That we want that. So this ironic benediction, named after Aaron, the Berkat Konim, as it's called in Hebrew, the priestly blessing, the Levitical blessing, however you want to say it. There have been some modern Jewish commentators that have put a spin on this, and it's quite an interesting spin. The word ironic benediction sounds a lot like the word ironic benediction. And modern Jewish commentators, and I won't reference them by name, but they're there, they began to look at this ironic benediction, this benediction that came through Aaron, and they said, well, that's really an ironic benediction. Now, how did they come up with that idea? I mean, they weren't trying to be irreverent or trite, but they came up with this idea when they looked at the full, the full picture of what Scripture says. They said, how ironic that Aaron is the one who gets to say the priestly blessing first and above all else. How ironic that is. And you know, here's what their thinking is. Their thinking is, well, it was Aaron using tools who fashioned the golden calf. Ironically, it was him. <laughs> and it was at that time that Aharon, Aaron, gave in to the inclinations of the crowd and the clamoring of the crowd and help pull together, make the Egel Hazahav, the golden calf. And it was Aaron a little bit later, along with his sister Miriam, who spoke against their brother Moses and his Cushite wife. It was Aaron involved with all this. How ironic, huh? 
that it would be this guy with these type of issues that would be commissioned by Hashem himself, the Lord himself, to be the first one to pronounce this benediction that we are so familiar with now, even 2,000 years from the time of Yeshua. How ironic that it would be Aaron who would be able to say and pronounce the ironic benediction. Well, it's clear that according to Torah narrative, it's pretty clear, some of the examples I just gave to you, that Aharon, Aaron, wasn't always in tip-top spiritual form. By the way, are you always in tip-top spiritual form? I'm not. <laughs> We're striving to that. We want to be that. But Aaron wasn't always in tip-top spiritual form. He didn't always make the best decisions. Do you always make the best decisions? He didn't always make the best decisions. He didn't always make the best decisions, or was he always the best example? I mean, what an example to be involved with the whole incident of the golden calf. Something's not right there. And he wasn't always the best representative of the Lord and his holiness. I mean, just think, he chides his brother. He and his sister Miriam chide their brother, their brother Moses, and they say, what are you doing with that woman? Why did you marry her? We don't know exactly what the dialogue was, but we know that it didn't please the Lord what they said. But just like me and dare I say it, you, Aaron made serious issues of judgment. He made some serious errors when it came to judgment. Was his whole life a, a, a series of errors? No, but there are these watershed moments in his life that were very significant not only to his life, but to the history of Israel, very significant. And Aaron succumbed to peer pressure, at least at the golden calf incident. And to put it in new covenant terms, to quote from the book of Romans, Aaron fell short of the glorious plan that God had for him. He fell short of the glory of God. Yet again, to emphasize, yet Aaron, warts and all, warts and all, he was called by God to be the first person to pronounce the priestly blessing and the privilege of transferring that, transmitting that responsibility to his son after him. It was Aaron. But there's another aspect of Aaron's character that we don't talk about very often. In fact, I have to say that I've never heard this spoken about, but I think it's important. Let me share, share it with you. Aaron seemed to make mistakes, but Aaron also seemed to learn lessons from his mistakes. Let me point out to you what I mean by that. Yes, he was involved with the Egel Hazahav, the golden calf incident, but you know what? There wasn't another one. It was just this one time. He didn't repeat that same mistake over and over again. There's no record ever again after he ends up chiding his brother about marrying the Cushite woman that Aaron ever spoke anything ill towards his brother again. Even the allusion to that, it's not there in the scripture. And Aaron, as we'll see in three weeks, Lord willing, as we read a power shot Korah, when we learn about Korah, Aaron did not follow the crowd at all when Korah came onto the scene. Now, he had done that with the golden calf to some degree, but he didn't follow the crowd. 
You know what? He learned his lessons, friends, and if you make mistakes, you go wrong way, don't do it again. Repent. Teshuvah. Return to the Lord. Learn your lessons. We need to learn our lessons. It's not very smart to keep putting our hand on the proverbial stove over and over again. We must learn. And Aaron seemed to do that. He seemed to learn. And and I have this other idea that I want to share with you. Scripture says that Moses, Aaron's brother Moshe, was the most humble of all people. The most humble of all people. But I'm I'm going to say that I think maybe Aaron was number two on that list. Right behind his brother. I mean, Aaron, he had his fair share of humble pie and all the fixings that go with it. That's what he had through some of the things that Scripture says he was involved with. And yet, when we look at the overall picture, the calling of God that was on Aaron, the unique place Aaron has not only in, in Jewish history, in Israel history, and biblical history, but in history in general. He is the first Kohen Gadol. Can you say Kohen Gadol? He's the first Kohen Gadol, high priest. Kohen means priest. Gadol means great. Now, as we think about Aaron, let me ask you this question. Is there something about Aaron that reminds you of the man or woman you see in the mirror each day? Is there something about him? Have you at times fallen short of the glory of God in your life? Have you made errors in judgment in your life? Have you at times succumbed to peer pressure when you shouldn't have? Have you at times followed the wrong crowd, the wrong inclination, and made bad decisions that have impacted your life? If you say yes to any of those, you're mirroring somewhat of what happened in Aaron's life to some degree. If you say yes to those type of things, that you've fallen short of God's glory, you've made errors in judgment, you've come to peer pressure, at times you follow the wrong crowd, and you've made some bad decisions in your life. If so, learn from Aaron. He learned. He grew. He overcame and became a great, great high priest, a great Kohen Gadol. And despite Aaron's flaws, and there are several listed, and we've belabored them somewhat, Aaron was a follower of the Lord. He tried to follow the Lord. And I would suggest to you that Aaron's commission, what he was asked to do, was not easy. Just think about it. The high priest unilaterally on his own went on Yom HaKippurim, on Yom Kippur. He went in in behalf of the whole nation. And before he could do that, he had to offer sacrifices for himself and purify himself and change his garments and do all these things. All that responsibility, all that heaviness, so to say, was upon Aaron. The whole nation looked to him to go in and to represent them before the Lord and to offer the sacrifice. A lot of responsibility. How do you do with responsibility? Are there times when you want to shirk the real responsibilities that are on your life? Are there times that you want to run away from some of the things God's calling you to? When we look at the general overall picture of Aharon's life, we realize that, yes, there were some foibles there, if I could use that term, but he kept pressing on to follow the Lord. 
And eventually, when he passes away, Israel mourns for him. I'm sure some of them probably remember the golden calf incident. Sure, some of them probably knew that he had spoken up against his own brother Moses. And some of them knew the other issues concerning Aaron, but they mourned for him. My friends here today, if you think you are not useful to God because of mistakes you made in your life, hear me, please think again. God is not casting you away. He's calling you closer. Learn from Aaron. There was only one golden calf incident. There was only one time when he spoke out against his brother. Learn from Aaron. And make sure that sinful habits that may be trying to form strongholds that may be trying to form in your life, that they are really in the rearview mirror of your life now. They're not what you're pressing towards. They're what you're getting away from. They're in the real view mirror. They're, you're, you're not going to repeat them. You want to keep pressing on and going forward. In fact, let me remind you what Rob Shaul said in Philippians chapter 3, which I think a passage we're, we're all familiar with, beginning with verse 12 from the Tree of Life version. Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle, this Pharisee of Pharisees, as to the Torah, blameless, he said this. He wrote to the Philippians, not that I have already obtained this or been perfected, but I press on, but I press on if only I might take hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, it continues in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 3. I do not might consider myself as having taken hold of this, but this one thing I do, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and, and pressing forward, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the reward of the upward calling of God in Messiah Yeshua. God redeems. He delivers. He transforms and he conforms us by his spirit. He conforms us to the image of his son. That's what's happening inside of you. He's in the process of conforming you into the image of his son. And it's in his son that he's well pleased. He's conforming us to that. Will you let him do that? Will you let him have that persuasion over you? over your words, over your actions, over your thoughts, over your inclinations? Will you let him have that persuasion? Will you, or will you keep just doing the same thing over and over again? And again, I suggest to you that was one of Aaron's strengths. He did not repeat his mistakes over and over again. There was only one golden calf incident, not two. There was only one. Now, 1 John chapter 3 says this, beginning with the first verse. It starts out with a word, at least in this English text, it starts out with the word, behold. Behold is an attention-getting word. It's meant to get our attention. It's meant for us to, when you see that word, hine or behold or whatever the Greek might be, when you see that word, you're supposed to take note. Take note. It says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. 
Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, guess what? We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then verse 3 is a very important voice, verse. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You know, we can rejoice with something Jeremiah said to the children of Israel. The principle behind it, we can rejoice. Jeremiah told the children of Israel, he said, Behold, behold, as the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hands. And friends, by application, you're clay in the master's hand. You're clay. Will you allow the water of his spirit to keep you soft? To make you moldable? To help you conform to what the Lord wants to do with you and create in you and use you for? Some of you have worked a potter's wheel. You know that it's fun when you can just put a, a, a lump of clay on the wheel and get it going, and then you, you, you can form whatever you want, but it's a little more of a task. It takes some wisdom and some forethought when you put a lump of clay in there and you have in your mind what you want that clay to be or to become. It's a little more of an issue. It's a little easier to freeform and do whatever you please. But God, when he works with us, we're, we're clay in the potter's hand, and he has this exact idea of what he wants from us. And if you're here today, you know that his calling is on your life. He's called you. And the ultimate purpose of our walk of faith, one of them, one of the purposes, is that would be, we would become like Yeshua and present him to the world around us. The high priesthood instituted by God in Israel, starting with Aaron, really points to a much greater high priest, to someone much greater. It just points us to a, a better priestly service, in fact, and a far greater ultimate impact. And let me remind you, because I believe there's a remez, there's a hint in Psalm 133. Many of you can quote this psalm. There's a remez, there's a hint of something in it. It's a shirhamalot, a song of a sense, Le David of David. It's one of David's psalms. Here's how he was thinking. <laughs> Here's David's thought process under the Spirit. Psalm 133, verse 1. Again, there's that word, behold. Hine in Hebrew. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But then it continues. Most versions of, of, that, of the song uh, that's done to this, the various songs, they stop at that verse. That's great. It's a great verse. Behold how good and, and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. But it continues in verse 2. It is like the precious oil upon the beard, upon the head, running down on the beard. The beard of who? Aaron. It's like that precious anointing oil that came on Aaron. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments, his priestly garments. And it continues, it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, 
For there the Lord commanded the blessing. And then it says this, and this is one of the unique times where the English is shorter than the Hebrew here. The English says life forevermore, two words. The Hebrew says chayim ad haolam. Chaim ad haolam. Three words in Hebrew is very unique. Usually it takes many more words in English to describe Hebrew. He says, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, Chaim ad haolam, life forevermore. So Psalm 133, there's a remez, there's a hint of something. It transitions from talking about Aaron and the anointing oil, and the blessing, and then it concludes with those final three Hebrew words, Chaim Ad Ho'olam, life forevermore. So it goes from Aaron to the idea of life forevermore. And in fact, my friends, there's a greater high priest than Aaron, a greater high priest. Greater high priest than Aaron, greater high priest than his sons after him, a a greater priestly service of far-reaching impact that's set forth in passages like in the book of Messianic Jews, the book of Hebrews. And what's set forth is really not a what, it's a who. Who set forth? Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. His eternal priesthood is set forth. We realize that. And, and he is, he is, and notice the present tense of the verb. He is our great high priest. Aaron was a great high priest. Aaron's sons were a great high priest. But I'm excited to say before you today that Yeshua is our great high priest. Aaron served a temporal purpose. Yeshua, our great high priest, our Kohen Gadol, serves an immutable, eternal purpose. Aaron's purpose was temporal. He passed away. Aaron died. His descendants died after him too. And they all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Yet as we look at Yeshua, the sinless Messiah, we know that the grave could not hold him. The grave could not keep him under its power that he has resurrected and ascended unto the highest heaven. Blessed be his holy name. And it was the obedience of this great high priest, his faithfulness, his absolute obedience. He didn't have an Egel Zahav situation, a golden calf situation. He didn't follow the wrong crowd or make bad decisions. Everything he said was life for those who are willing to receive it. Sometimes they were hard words. Sometimes they were easy words. But they were meant to bring life to the hearers. Whether it was a parable, whose meanings were hidden by those to some, or whether it was a direct commandment. And he made many direct commandments. For example, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's a direct command from the Lord. But the obedience of our great high priest, Yeshua the Messiah, that enabled the Lord's blessing to come upon us, we should be very thankful for. And today as we prepare for the Lord's Supper here in just a moment, let me conclude here today by reading this important passage from the book of Hebrews. We call it, often call it Messianic Jews. From chapter 7, beginning with verse 23. Verse 22. 
Here's what's written in the Brit Chadashah in the New Covenant. By so much more, Yeshua has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests, Kohanim, because they were prevented by death from continuing. Yeah, there had to be many because they kept dying. But Yeshua, but he, because he continues how long? Forever, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. An unchangeable priesthood. Death couldn't hold him. Therefore, he is also, please notice verse 25, he is also able to save to the uttermost. No matter how far away you may feel from the Lord, turn to him. He's able to save you. You're never so far away that he can't extend his hand to you if you're willing to latch on to him. He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. How often he always lives to make intercession for them. As we sit here this day or we stand here this day, he makes intercession. His very presence is intercessory for us. It continues, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy blameless, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Yeshua is seated at the right hand of authority on high. There's no higher place to be seated. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's become higher than heavens. And verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 7 continues, who does not need daily as those high priests... Aaron and his sons and those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. And who did he offer up himself for? You and me today. He suffered for you. He shed his blood for you and for me. That's why we remember with these elements here of what Yeshua has done for us. He doesn't need, again, in repeating verse 27, does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the Torah, the law, appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the Torah appoints the Son, Yeshua the Messiah, who has been perfected forever. So friends here today, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, that perfect Son that it references in Hebrews chapter 7 is Yeshua of Nazareth, the risen Lord, the Messiah. And it's to Him, it's actually to Him that we must daily present ourselves. He is our high priest. How many of you believe he's your high priest today? I'm so thankful for such a great high priest. Can I say it this way? A great, great high priest. A great, great Kohen Gadol. A great high priest. I'm so thankful for him. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. At times we've made bad decisions. At times we've gone with the wrong crowd. But we have a Savior and he's able to save us to the uttermost. If you place your trust in our Messiah and Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, he can save you to the uttermost and lead you and guide you, not only to be conformed into his image, 
but to lead you and guide you to all that he has for you to do in his kingdom. Because I don't believe there's any person that doesn't have a place in the kingdom of God. Any believer, all believers have a place of service in the kingdom of God. At the very least, and it's the greatest, to the Lord himself, worshiping him. But also within the community. Within the community. It's with his help. It's with his help. And by his grace and his power that you will be able to fulfill your purpose, your divine purpose for your life. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. Thank you for your purpose and for all that you have done for us and that you are doing for us. We acknowledge you today. Lord, I pray for every person here right now, each one of us. Thank you for forgiveness for bad decisions. Thank you for wisdom to not do those things again. Thank you, Lord, for your patience for us. Thank you also, Lord, for your love that never fails. Today, O oh Lord, as we commemorate your Holy Son, Yeshua, our Messiah, and partake of these elements, whosoever will. Lord, please renew us, bring us closer to you, that we might fulfill all your purposes for our life, that we would not be astray from you, but instead we will be walking closely with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the measure of your spirit. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.